Solomon said there was a time and a place for everything, Shirley had not encountered the travails of junior high. But during those formative years, there was truly a time for all things. A time to dance, a time to sing, a time to date, and yes, even a time to fight. Relive these pivotal triumphs and pitfalls with Pat McCarthy as he recalls a series of first-time experiences within the walls of Lynn Haven Junior High School. First Day, written by Pat McCarthy, narrated by Bo Pritchard. First Day, when I was 12 years old, I entered junior high school. It was August, 1981. Graduating from Kingston Elementary, it left me feeling quite important. Being in the sixth grade, you have a tendency to think you are someone of consequence. It's the last time you feel this way until you're 17. Junior high school has that magic ability of perpetually trying to strip every shred of confidence along with every kernel of self-worth from your skinny, hormonal, acne-prone existence. By the way, my name is Pat, short for Patrick. It might help you in reading this story to know that. I wish I could say something poetic about the name Pat, but there really is not much to work with. The name Pat really has little significance. In fact, it's a pretty unremarkable name, not to mention unisex. As an adolescent boy, I realized early on that the name Pat never struck fear in the heart of anyone. Think about it. You never hear about men named Pat leading revolutions or leading armies or showing up on television as professional wrestlers. Now entering the ring for the first time, the most feared of all men straight from the jungles of South America, the bloodthirsty, savage, inhuman, really doesn't matter how many adjectives you use it it's just not enough and so the name pat is mine and this is my story in preparation for my first day of junior high school i decided to wear my blue op shorts you know the short corduroy ones the really short corduroy ones In retrospect, the OP company performed quite a coup in making a pair of shorts that would be indecent in almost any other time in history fashionable to adolescent boys. Being a slave to the label, I paired my shorts with a blue OP shirt. To finish off the ensemble, I wore striped tube socks, blue stripes of course, and a fresh new pair of Nike tennis shoes. As I looked at myself in my mom's full-length mirror, I had to admit that I looked pretty good. I combed my hair as best I could down the middle. I could never pull off the Leif Garrett wings, but it didn't stop me from trying. I used my thick blue comb that I usually fit in my back pocket, but with the OP shorts, suffice it to say, it wouldn't fit. Thankfully, on the first day, I only had two major zits, one in the top left corner of my forehead, and one on the right side of my chin that was ingrown. You know, the ones that feel like a golf ball-sized tumor, but not really visible to others? I used my right guard spray for about 10 seconds longer than usual, just to make sure I was protected for what could be a very eventful day. I ate breakfast, which consisted of two chocolate Pop-Tarts and a bowl of peanut butter Captain Crunch. 
Looking back now as an adult, I've realized that I was setting myself up for a sugar crash, but at the time, routine was king. I didn't want to risk a stomach problem on the first day of school. There was absolutely no way that I was going to take care of business in a junior high school bathroom. In fact, the idea was inconceivable. Not to mention that I was the poster child for OCD. Using the bathroom at school for anything but number one was a recipe for humiliation and a risk that I was just not willing to take. Of course, I had an emergency plan if I ran into such a predicament. If I had to really use the bathroom, I would run away from school and go to a friend's house. I realized that I could get into trouble for this, but the end result among my peers would be rumors of having a reckless streak and perhaps provide a nickname. I have to admit that I would rather be known as the Skipper rather than other less salubrious names. After eating, I brushed my teeth, took one more look at myself, and headed for the bus stop to meet the others. When I arrived, I saw my best friend Bo. Bo was wearing a pair of light blue OPs, an OP shirt, and a pair of Vans with white tube socks. Bo had a nice new haircut parted down the middle. We both nodded to each other, a tacit response that allowed us to tell each other that we both looked cool. Guys didn't discuss such things, especially in public or anywhere near junior high school. Another friend at the bus stop was Alvin the Reeker Simmons. The Reeker had had an unfortunate bout with Sloppy Joes in the third grade. After the incident, Miss Peanuttle set up new guidelines in the in-class bathroom. The Reeker was wearing an OP bathing suit, trying to pull it off as a pair of shorts. The Reeker had gotten the new suit at the beginning of the summer and held the neighborhood record for most consecutive days in the same article of clothing. There was one girl at the bus stop, Leslie Stevens. Leslie was in the ninth grade and was, to use the vernacular of the day, a babe. I could tell that she was uncomfortable with the Reeker staring at her like she was a carnival attraction, but I was too intimidated to say anything. Leslie's younger sister, Barbara, was in the same boat as my friends and I. She was 12 years old and scared to death. She tried to cover up her anxiety in a pair of leg warmers over her Jordache jeans. This is late August, mind you. And a Rick Springfield concert t-shirt. She was actually pretty cute. Except for the leg warmers, that is. I never liked leg warmers. As the bus arrived, my heart started beating rapidly. Captain Crunch was still holding up his end of the bargain, but I wasn't sure how long it would last. I moved toward the back of the bus and sat in an empty seat by myself. You might ask why I didn't sit with my best friend, but even I, the age of 12, knew that two guys sitting next to each other on a school bus when there were empty seats violated the code of all things macho, to which I aspired. I exchanged chit-chat with Bo and the Reeker over some video games boasting that I had an unbeatable high score in Atari Asteroid. I spoke loudly so that the ladies might hear of my prowess and be impressed. Leslie looked straight ahead, unmoved by my braggadocio. Beads of sweat glistened on Barbara's forehead, but fortunately she was wearing her Olivia Newton-John Let's Get Physical-inspired headband. Mrs. Johnson... Our bus driver stripped and ground the klutz as she tore out of our neighborhood towards our final destination. 
When we pulled into the Linhaven Junior High School parking lot, it was all I could do to not throw up. As I took my last step off the bus, I panned the landscape to see hundreds of young men in OP shorts and tube socks. At least I wouldn't stand out. Because I had attended orientation the week before, I knew the location of my classes. I was thankful that I didn't have to walk around with a schedule in my hand looking completely lost. The reeker had regrettably lost his schedule and hadn't bothered to attend orientation. He spent his first 10 minutes on campus walking around in circles like a malfunctioning bumper car in an amusement park. Unfortunately, the reeker was not in any of my classes and neither was Bo. I was on my own. As I made my way to class, I saw a few familiar faces and many new ones. I noticed that several girls were wearing designer jeans. Having an older brother, I knew that the brand of designer jeans that a girl wore played a large part in determining her personality. For instance, a girl that wore Gloria Vanderbilt's made straight A's, whereas a girl wearing chick jeans needed to go to confession regularly. If you can remember, chick jeans didn't have the pockets and looked like they were painted on. Of course, the list of jeans was quite extensive, including but not limited to Calvin Klein, Jordache, Sassoon, Sergio Valente, and Xenia. It was easy for guys when it came to jeans. Levi's was really the only choice. Wearing designer jeans if you were a guy was a slippery slope. Most guys were not willing to take the risk. Brian the Muscle Jackson, however, wore Jordache. Let's just say he could pull it off. My first class of the day, unfortunately, was gym. I was already feeling queasy. Entering the gymnasium made me feel even worse. As I walked into the gym, I recognized only a few familiar faces. I saw Training Bra Jones, a 7th grader like myself, and his brother, Repeat Jones, also in the 7th grade. I often wondered what it was like taking the same class as your older brother. What I couldn't figure out was how Repeat failed 7th grade gym three years in a row. As far as I understood it, all he had to do was dress out and take a shower to get an A in the class. Surely he could do that. I mean, what was the big deal? After finding my class, I took a seat on the bleachers. My teacher, Mr. Disharoon, gave a lecture to the entire gymnasium, which contained four different classes of students. He spoke about the importance of dressing out, wearing your uniform, and the necessity of taking a shower at the end of gym class. Uniforms were distributed to each student, a thick red cotton t-shirt, and a pair of blue shorts with white trim. Mr. D also discussed the importance of periodically taking your uniform home for washing. At this point in the lecture, most of the boys had tuned out. I heard the words, but never really planned on taking Mr. D's advice. Everyone knew that it was pointless trying to remove the smell that would permeate every fiber of your uniform the moment it entered the locker room. I can remember the one time my brother brought his uniform home for washing, and my father had to sleep in a hotel to let the house air out before we could return. In the meantime, my brother had to remove the offending garments from the house with gloves and promised never to bring them back. 
Smelling bad during gym was par for the course. Of course, when you're a kid like me who became acquainted with antiperspirant in the first grade, you realize that an extra spray of right guard can go a long way. Even students that didn't bring pencils or paper to class had an extra can of right guard on their person at all times. Having gym at the beginning of the day was extremely unfortunate for multiple reasons. First, it meant that you had to smell bad for the rest of the day. Second, it meant that you had to start your day by disrobing in front of a 40-year-old man. After the first few days, I was beginning to see why repeat had trouble passing the class. Timmy Studright got a waiver from taking showers by accidentally injuring his neck while doing squat thrust. Timmy was a lucky man. A few boys made the seventh grade mistake of trying to fake a shower. They would get dressed and douse their hair and face with water. Unfortunately, Mr. D was a wise man. He would find you out. I think he had spies. On many occasions, he would come into the locker room late as if he were tempting us to avoid a shower, but just when you started to put your clothes on, you would hear his voice, Ladies, we don't want to have to come and drag you out a second period because you're stinking up the class. In addition to Mr. G's threats was the added bonus of Johnny Buck Michaels. Buck was about four foot eight, but had the hubris of a Harvard Law student. He, unlike most of us, enjoyed shower time. He would parade around naked as long as he possibly could. In fact, if they didn't have a dress code, he would have given up clothes altogether. Buck enjoyed showing off the latest dance moves around the locker room au naturel. Thankfully, breakdancing was still a few years away from entering the zeitgeist. After gym class, I showered and headed toward shop class. To this day, I'm not sure why I signed up. As I entered the room, I sat down on a metal stool covered with a thin layer of sawdust. This was a big mistake. Son, get off of my stool. A short man with absolutely no sense of spatial relations barked in my face. In addition to being vociferous, Death Breath Dawkins was also odiferous. And I mean odiferous. I think Dawkins put garlic on his Fruit Loops for flavor. There was a story around school that the shop teacher sent a kid to the hospital the day after Dawkins attended the Taj Mahat's All-You-Can-Eat Buffet. I knew the kid personally. It really wasn't a big deal. He only had to stay in the hospital overnight for observation. The doctor said that it was probably an allergic reaction to curry. I jumped off the stool and moved to the back of the room, vowing never to experience the wrath of death breath again. Dawkins was actually a pretty nice guy once you got to know him. I kind of felt bad for him. It was obviously quite a challenge demonstrating how to use the bandsaw with only four fingers on each hand. In a way, it actually worked to his advantage. You could hear a pin drop during his safety lesson on using the equipment. My next class was social studies with Mr. Graham. Mr. Graham was known as the cool teacher. From day one, Mr. Graham asked us to call him by his first name, Dave. 
Many boys in the class admired Dave because he knew how to talk to the ladies. I wasn't a big fan. Dave seemed more concerned about his appearance than the finer points of the Cold War. Dave had gone too far in my book when I saw him skateboarding in the parking lot after school in a pair of ultra-short OPs. There was a line of girls watching Dave do a hang 10. Unfortunately, Dave wasn't wearing a helmet and pads when he collided with the school's oversized dumpster. I imagine he had a hard time explaining his broken wrist to the administration. After Dave finished telling the class about his role as an extra in Raiders of the Lost Ark, his gift for music, and being a personal friend of Sting, we were dismissed to lunch. When the bell rang, the students fled to the cafeteria like a pride of lions chasing a wounded wildebeest. Many of the smaller kids simply crouched near the closest wall in the fetal position and prayed they would be spared. Although my head told me to crouch with the others, my primal instinct took over. I, fleet of foot in my new Nike tennis shoes, ran with the pack. Yes, running in OPs was difficult, but with some practice it could be managed, albeit with a rather stifled gait. I charged down the hall, trying to stay as close as possible to the other members of the board. I could see the reeker up near the front, and then I lost sight of him. The next thing I knew, I was leaping over him. He appeared to be okay. Second thought, I should have stopped to help him up, but I had no time to consider propriety when the hunt was on. I was running harder than I had ever run in my life. I was running like a man in need of something, a man in need of meaning. It didn't matter why, I was now one of the pack. We made our last turn towards the cafeteria. I could smell the chicken patties and soggy french fries. As I made it through the door, my right foot slipped out from underneath of me and I went down hard the front split. Now I'm not a very flexible guy. Touching my toes without bending my knees was a feat I had yet to accomplish. Even as a baby, I had been unable to play with my feet the way other babies did. I had to content myself with occasionally patting my knees. Well, anyway, you get the picture. So there I was, sprawled across the cafeteria floor in a split that would make a cheerleader proud. I screamed, sounding much like Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween. Coupled with my scream was the unmistakable sound of fabric tearing. The OPs, unable to bear the strain, had let me down. The entire seam of my tiny corduroy shorts had been split open, severing them in half. An eerie silence descended upon the crowded lunchroom, and all eyes turned to me. Paralyzed from shock, I remained motionless. After a few seconds, I heard a faint voice in the distance. Pat, get out! Get out! The words intermixed with panting were getting louder. Get out, Pat! Get out! I turned my head toward the door that I had entered only moments earlier and saw the reeker creeping across the floor, G.I. Joe style. His shirt was torn, and his much-loved bathing suit was dangling from his ankles. Thankfully, his red Fruit of the Looms were still in place. Heroically disregarding his own pain, the reeker was coming to save me. I knew I had a good friend in the reeker the day he split his ho-hos with me in second grade. Scrambling awkwardly to my feet, I hobbled toward my friend, leaving behind two fragments of blue corduroy. 
When I reached the reeker, I leaned down and helped him up. His swimsuit, like my beloved O.P.'s, was another lunchtime casualty. We limped towards the locker room like two wounded soldiers. The rest of the day was kind of a blur, but I can vividly remember the ride home. Upon entering the bus, Miss Johnson, with one hand pinching her nose, pointed to the back. Reeker and I slumped into our individual single-man seats, united by more than just our matching gym uniforms, grateful to have survived another battle in the war that was junior high. You've been listening to Episode 2, First Day, from the series First, written by Pat McCarthy and narrated by Bo Pritchard. This has been a Two Brothers Nostalgia production, copyright 2016. Join us soon for our next episode, First Dance.